Welcome to the moment that changed everything, where we interview notable creative people to gain insights into how they got started and learn more about the moments that shaped them and their careers. Today, we finally sit down with Michael Brenner, CEO and CMO of Marketer Insider Group. I say finally because the whole pandemic thing has thrown us off our game for a few weeks. Thankfully, we're back to the new normal with this Zoom interview. Michael Brenner is the former VP of Marketing at SAP and today is a globally recognized keynote speaker on leadership, culture, and marketing. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Content Formula, and his work has been featured by The Economist, The Guardian, and Entrepreneur Magazine. A recognized expert in content marketing, he encourages companies and brands to leverage one of the most powerful tools in marketing currently. Today, we get into how COVID-19 is affecting brand messaging, why it is a mistake not to recognize the context of the times we live in, and why content marketing would be better described as self-publishing. Michael Brenner, thank you so much for being on. Look, this is the first uh, Zoom podcast that I'm participating in. I know you're a old hat at it, but before we get into brands and the subject of content marketing, brand self-publishing, I wanted to start by just asking how are you doing? How's life in Westchester right now, given this whole COVID thing? Yeah, you know, we're doing the best we can. Uh, I think that's a standard re- response. I always, I always ask pe- people if they're staying safe and sane because uh, I think it's, it's a concern on both levels. But no, I'm good. You know, I think, I think positivity is a choice and I try to be um, optimistic and thankful and, um, you know, reaching out to my friends and family, making sure they're okay uh, mentally as much as anything else. And uh, um, so, yeah, so we're doing great. How about, how about you? Well, we're doing good. I mean, I was going to ask you, you're, you, you, uh, the way in which you work, you do a lot of work from your home and from your home studio. I don't know if you've felt a difference during the day. For me, it's a little bit different. I'm used to going into the office, used to being at the studio. Um, but um, um, of course, it's, weird, it's weirdness everywhere. You know, I try to get out in the morning, get a good walk. Uh, there's not a lot of people around. But it is odd to be in a, in a pretty populated city and, and still it being kind of shut down. So mm-hmm. it's surreal. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely strange. And we, we're kind of the opposite. I'm in the suburbs outside of Philadelphia. And um, normally I go for a walk first thing in the morning and, and I, you know, everybody's driving to work. And now I go for a walk in the morning and I see, I, you know, I'm meeting neighbors that live three houses down I haven't met before because everybody's out walking. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's different for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I've got four kids and, and they're loving it. I mean, they're doing school right now. They'll be finished by noon and then, you know, they have the rest of the day to kind of relax. So, you know, I mean, we're kind of enjoying family time, I guess, more than anything else. Yeah, well, you have the right attitude. Um, you're right. You just got to stay positive and we'll get through this and uh, it will end. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. great. So let, let me start here by just saying, you know, this crisis has come along. And what do you see in, the, in terms of brands and how, it, how this crisis has affected them in terms of um, the content that they're putting out there? Because mm-hmm. um, uh, we're talking about the thing itself. It's, it's kind of different days right now. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to address the messaging. But what are you seeing out there that, uh, that uh, like, who's doing it well? And yeah. what's your opinion about the whole thing? Yeah, I've, I've, been, um, I've been trying to, I mean, my approach to creating content has always been to just try to answer what I think are the kind of elephant in the room questions that people are asking. Um, and if I have, if I feel like I have an interesting insight, 
or well, I, I never think it's interesting, but if I think I have any insight, I, I'll try to share it. Um, and so the first, the first article I did uh, in response to this was um, because I do a lot of speaking at, at marketing events, and I have a lot of friends in that in that community, the event organizers and owners of conferences. So I wrote an article just on you know what do you do when your marketing event gets canceled and and. Um, uh, Adobe, uh, who is a client of mine, but but uh, did a really good job, I think, of taking their Adobe Summit um, that would have, would have been in Las Vegas last month, um, actually just a couple weeks ago, and moved it online. I think they did that very well. Uh, the second thing that I, I wrote was an article like, what even is marketing, you know, it, it, during this crisis? And it hit me when I saw an ad for Chevy trucks um, when Chevy dealers aren't open, and it seemed a little tone deaf. Um, I also saw an ad, and this is the one that I'm going to point to. Uh, you can't find it online because they've they've scraped it from the entire internet somehow. But it was Le Legal Zoom um, ran a TV ad that said, "Now is the best time to update your will." Uh, and I remember thinking the subcontext, you know, the sort of the, the the subtle, you know, subconscious message was, "You're more likely to die right now, so you probably should update your will," which is just awful. And and they even as of uh, late last week still had a, a tweet pinned on their Twitter page um, about why now is a good time to update your will. It's just extremely tone deaf. Yeah. Um, in the article, my advice to brands is it's not the time to advertise. Um, it's not the time to, to try to sell your stuff because I don't think a lot of people um, outside of, you know, protective gear and, and fitness equipment, <laughs> toilet <laughs> paper, you know, I don't think people are buying a lot of stuff. Um, but I did some research and I looked at some of the search trends. It's interesting. I looked at marketing, advertising, content. I looked at um, some of my clients, you know, what they do, technology, infrastructure, cloud computing, um, you know, content, uh, uh, like collaboration platforms. Interestingly, what I found is that there was a dip in search traffic uh, starting around the first to second week of March. Pretty significant 35% decrease in average search traffic on those key sort of what you could call B2B selling terms. Interestingly, though, it didn't go down as much as it would go down during like the Christmas holiday. And also, it's now starting to come back and it's almost at pre-crisis levels. So what, what I'm finding and what I'm recommending to my clients is don't stop creating content. It's, it, people may not be buying, but they're certainly educating themselves and they're learning and they're searching. So, you know, kind of stay the course when it comes to content. I feel like we're seeing a little bit of burnout in terms of messaging from brands that is all about, we're here for you, you know, we're going to get through this together. They'll do a uh, kind of something directed at frontline workers, um, their support. Um, but it does feel like now that we're into our, some of us, you know, been home for a month or more, mm -hmm. um, it does feel like, um, it feels to me like there's a bit of burnout in hearing some of that messages. Now that can turn into a bit of negativity for brands. Um, I know you're mentioning this, this search term thing. I, is there a connection there between those two things that people are more open to getting back to normal or the new normal? Yeah, I do. I, I, I've, I've been calling it the COVID-19 content backlash. Um, you know, the first week, all the CEOs from all of our companies were sending out, you know, uh, during this COVID-19 crisis, you know, everybody sent those emails out. There was a great article in The Guardian. Um, I recommend everybody check it out. It, um, if, if you just search for The Guardian poem, uh, a, uh, one of the writers at The Guardian created a poem from all the headlines she received uh, about the crisis, uh, really pretty much making fun of brands. Um, 
what what I'm seeing is I think the time to address it directly, you know, we're here for you, we care about our workers. I think those that, that time has passed. We all, you know, have we've all decided whether the brands we work with or, or use are, are, you know, empathetic or not. I, I do think that we, there's still an opportunity. I'm even still creating a little bit of the, you know, during times of fear, um, you know, how do you shift your marketing strategy? I'm do, doing a little bit that I would call it in context, but not directly, you know, fr throwing it in people's face because I think we're getting tired. We're, there's, we're starting to see a backlash of, I think, people that are trying to, we're, we're you know, human beings trying to get back to some sense of normalcy. Um, so so I'm, I'm suggesting and recommending, you know, a little bit of a shift away from direct communication, but not ignoring the crisis completely. How do you bridge those two things? Like if we could look at that and say, um, of course, uh, right out the gate, you're having brands acknowledge the fact that we're in the midst of a crisis. They're not selling themselves. The smart brands are sort of going, it's not a time to sell to your point. Um, and then on the other side of that would be where we'll back into sales mode. How do they bridge that gap that is, to your point, acknowledging the context of where we're at yeah. and yet still uh, putting out their, their brand value mm -hmm. or uh, what does that look like? And, and it seems like a tricky bit of business. Yeah, it is. I, I think number one is don't do the two things on the either end of the spectrum. So one is create content that's all about it. Um, I think we're getting tired of that, as I mentioned. The other thing is don't create content that's completely ignoring it, you know. And so for me, it would be, you know, uh, best ways to network at a marketing event, probably not a valid piece of content to create right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, kind of do an audit, I think is my recommendation to not do those two things. Um, and then in the middle, I, my advice is to, you know, stay the course, continue creating content that answers customer questions or, you know, that delivers some value from your expertise and your companies. Um, and, and where it makes sense, I, you know, mention, you know, the crisis if, if it's relevant. Um, you know, uh, just about every piece of content could kind of, you know, mention it. And it's really just a question, as you said, of kind of balancing and walking the line between those two don'ts, you know, of, of saying it too much and being completely tone deaf. It's a tricky yeah. thing. It's true for any crisis. I think any crisis communications person will tell you um, it's the, it's a balance that you have to try to achieve in any crisis to try to make sure that, you know, your audience knows that you're aware of what's going on, but you're not trying to be too opportunistic. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I come from an advertising background and, you know, of course, when this first came on, um, you know, the advice is to not go dark. Um, and now that we live in this, um, uh, this world where brands are publishing more and more of their own content, um, it, there's probably no excuse for anyone to go dark right now. Um, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, I know you've been doing this for so long and you're such an advocate for it. I'm, for me, it's far more recent, um, but um, I'm terribly passionate about it. When I talk to uh, uh, comp people who own companies or, or brands, um, some of them feel that their content is so dry that they don't feel that they can create compelling content. Um, and we can talk a little bit about um, the creativity side of things because that's one of my other questions for you. But what do you say to companies who, you know, in my, in my list of questions that I sent you, it was like, what do you say to, a, you know, a company that makes upholstery for, for car seats um, when they say, well, I can't get involved in the, in the creating of content because it's too niche or it's too dry. Yeah. What, what do you say to that? Yeah. And I, the question, it's a great question. It, it's, 
probably the first one I hear from, from, you know, I don't want to call them skeptics in a negative way, but just people that are naturally and, and, and in a healthy way, somewhat skeptical. Uh, the, the question comes in two forms. One is what I do is too boring. The other one is there's so much content out in the world. How could anything I create break through? Um, and so I think the answer is kind of the same for both the, the and I used to when I worked at SAP for a long time I got that question a lot especially from technical people engineers who are super smart and they um, you know were often pretty humble and, and didn't believe that anyone else cared about what they cared about and and I used to say you know I don't you know like if we're we sell at SAP at the time manufacturing was a big you know part of the client base I'm like we have clients who sell ball bearings and if you go talk to the owner of a ball bearings company or an upholstery manufacturer what they do is actually pretty interesting um, you know there's how it's made shows with uh, with uh, you know on, on, on one of the cable channels that that are extremely satisfying to watch how they make you know steel cable you know it's it's the most boring thing in the world but it's pretty interesting um, and so that's my answer is no matter what it is that you do, there's someone out there who shares your passion. The other way I used to explain it is I used to tell people at SAP, I don't care if you love cats, write about cats because there's an, a potential employee, a potential customer, a potential investor of SAP who also loves cats. Lots of people love cats. Write up, nobody, no one ever did it, by the way. I wish they had. I wish <laughs> someone had said, you know, why cat lovers uh, should work at SAP or something like that. But um, that's the point is, is, you know, as human beings, there's always someone out there that shares one of our interests. And so share it out with the world is, is kind of my first plea. The second one which gets to the, well, how could what I create ever break through the noise of everything else that's being created? And it's kind of like, you know, I say it's like you're in a round table um, with, you know, eight other smart people and they're all having a conversation. And the choice is not to say, stay silent and not to respond or to enjoy, you know, enjoy and entertain conversation with the other smart people around that table. You want to be involved in the conversation, not just for your own, you know, um, self-fulfillment, but also because you, you know, as human beings, we all have something to add. And so whether it breaks through the noise or not, the point is we should all be a part of this conversation. There's someone out there that you can help. Um, I always refer back to Seth Godin who writes, he actually writes a blog post every day. And sometimes it's one word or one sentence and sometimes it's three pages. But when he was asked a couple of years ago, and it was one of my early inspirations, how he writes every single day, he said, I just imagine there's one person in the world who needs to hear what I have to say. And I write for that person. And so, you know, that's my advice to those folks who think that what they do is boring or they're, you know, just not interesting enough to, to create and share. Um, I, I think with a lot of brands who say are new to this and want to get involved in it, um, I, they're human beings just like you and I. They don't want to make any mistakes. They and and I think they're also coming from a place where, if we take the thirty-second uh, commercial for instance, there's a lot at stake here. Lots of money, um, lots of sweating the details and the messaging. Maybe with uh, with uh, self-publishing and content. Um, uh, because you get way more kicks at the can, is it okay for them to start and not have it perfect? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's probably the biggest obstacle that I face with clients. It's usually not the, the champion, as I call them. It's the, it's the stakeholder that they're you know, championing content for who has that opinion. Um, and, and what I try to say is, first of all, the first blog post I wrote, I wrote to myself because I knew no one was reading it. 
<laughs> right? And, and uh, it was far from perfect. Uh, and, and so, you know, I always tell people the first thing anyone writes is probably sucks. And the hundredth thing that anybody writes is probably pretty good. And so we all need to take that journey at some point. We all should create, take that journey if we want to. Um, the other thing is the data. Uh, the data is pretty interesting. It, you know, only 85% of people make it past the headline of an article. Um, only another, so it's, you know, you get, you get 15% that, that, you know, sort of click on something and, and read the headline um, and then continue. And then you start to lose 5% after the first word, first sentence, and first paragraph. So by the time you get to the, to the second paragraph, you've only got one or 2% left. And those people then usually read the whole thing. So, you know, stressing and, and you know, over engineering any piece of content is kind of a fool's errand because, there's really very few people that are going to actually make it through and care about it as much as you do. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, there, there's the, the price of perfect is too high, you know, is really kind of the main point. It's a great segue into the, the, the big ugly question of, of return on investment. Mm. Um, you know, uh, anybody, any brands looking to, to create content, I think the first thing that they understand is it's not something that you can just uh, kind of dabble in once in a while and go dark for long periods of time. Once you're on that content bus, you should stay on it and remain consistent. Um, of course, there are costs involved to that. And so what do you to say to the bean counters? Because uh, you've mentioned this before in the past too. Um, they're using the old metrics in terms of what success looks like or what return on investment looks like. So when you're in a room and you're getting the tough questions from from the, the money side of things, when it comes to creating content, how many people, how many employees, the time that's, the fact that they need to be paid, what, what, what does success look like and, and how do you change that, that conversation and that dynamic? Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I kind of took um, that big hairy question and answered it in, in my first book, The Content Formula. And, and the reason I did it was because so many executives would ask that question. And, and they, they often were the same executives who would ask for uh, me to create a viral video. And I'll never forget a good friend of mine, Todd Wheatland, once said that the only answer to the question, how do I create a viral video is F you. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a, I had another person say, you say rub a lamp. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. it's like, oh, wow, yeah, if I can snap my fingers, that'd be great. Exactly. And, and so the, the mathematical answer is that no one piece of content has ever generated ROI. It's the bulk, of, it's, the, it's the collection of our, our sharing that earns trust, and that trust then leads to sales and, and um, you know, some form of engagement with people that didn't know us before they engaged with our content. Um, I, I spent a lot of time talking about the power of consistency, you know, kind of like, investing in your your retirement fund which maybe I shouldn't even bring up at this point <laughs> with the stock market but but it's it's the it's the time value of money it's the con consistency of investing that generates the compounding rate of return so you know I always tell like it's, it's a conversation I want to I like to have with CFOs and I, I tell them that your website is a digital asset that has value and that value is either dying or it's it's thriving and the the difference between dying and thriving websites as digital assets that have real value because you can convert and measure on your website is how much helpful content you're creating that reaches new people 
engages them on a, on a regular basis, people you hadn't reached before, and converts them to a sale or, you know, some sort of form of retention, um, you know, uh, or moves them down the funnel, if you will. Uh, you know, however marketers want to measure their success, there's a way to do that when they're creating consistent, helpful content on their website. So that's my point is you're, if we think of, most people, you know, they still think of websites as a brochure that moved from the print world to the online world 25 years ago that just talks about who we are, what we sell, you know, pretty, pretty executive photos, um, you know, for investors. It's so much more than that. It's, a, it's now a way to engage with an audience that you hadn't engaged with before. And it's a very simple way to measure it. You know, just you see your organic search traffic is either up or down. Um, it's, it's up because you're creating content. It's down because you're not. There, I think there's this general feeling or, or belief that um, um, you have to create information that people want um, and get value from, and that there's a time and a place to then move them down the funnel, as you say, to maybe push towards a sale of some sort. How do, they, how do brands navigate that? Um, I mean, I think, it's, I think everyone understands that it's not something that you should just put out a piece of content and then sell at the end of it and try to move them towards that. Is there, are there metrics in that regard in terms of how they make that transition or when? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I like to look at, at the at top of the funnel, um, you know, would be, are you attracting search visitors? When people go to Google and they type a question, if they find you and your company website, because you're answering that question, that has value. You can measure that value. Um, the value is very simply, what would you have paid in a paid search um, ad it, to get that traffic is kind of the sort of relevant or equivalent media value, as we like to call it. Um, so that's one way to measure the top of the funnel. The middle of the funnel, I like to, there's a couple of different ways. One is um, I like to, to, to really recommend my clients use um, newsletter subscriptions, people that subscribe to your content as the best measure of success, mm -hmm. because that's a value, that's a, a, a measure of quality. I don't, you know, we already have too many emails, right? So if I'm subscribing to an, a, a company's newsletter, they must be creating something that answered a question that was helpful to me at some point. Um, so that's a way to, uh, to measure, we call it a small conversion. And then there's the things, you know, free trials, uh, you know, click here to talk to a salesperson. You know, there's got to be some off-ramp, if you will, to a, to a real conversion. Um, and, and usually, you know, my advice to, to marketers is just if there's anything in your CRM system or your sales team that they can point to that says there was a, um, you know, it was a source of a lead or source of a sale, go find that thing and promote the heck out of it in your helpful content. And that's the simple, that's sort of the, I call it the poor man's or poor woman's um, uh conversion rate optimization uh, approach essentially is find anything that converts, stick it inside the stuff that, that you're using at the top of the funnel and just see how the two interact. Um, uh, a lot of our um, followers and, and viewers are in the creative field. And I know, um, you know, as someone, I was, I was a copywriter for many years at agencies. Um, a lot of creative people want to move into new formats. Uh, the 30 second right is one of the toughest and um, to get away from that is probably a relief for a lot of creative people. Where does creativity lie in terms of creating content? I think um, uh, the technology has come such that, um, that people can make anything look really great right now. But uh, what are your opinions on how much creativity is required to put out uh, content that is, um, is a little bit, uh, uh, more attractive than just um, a web page and some copy. Yeah, it's it's so important, 
and it's getting more important. And, and um, one of the things I use in my workshops with uh, clients where we're developing strategy is I talk about how the way to, to, to rank in Google, it used to be this dark secret. It's now pretty, pretty clear what you need to do. Um, it's, I call the three V's, value, volume, and variety. Now, volume and value is what we do. You know, we help brands create content on a plan that ranks for keywords, that answers customer questions, easy. We can, we can guarantee increases in organic search traffic for our clients. What Google is increasingly putting a weight on is the variety piece. That's visual, creative um, approaches to content. It's not, just, it's not just graphic design, but it's also structure. Um, so there's creativity about the content that Google is now looking at essentially the engagement and they're seeing that we're a more, we're a very visual, you know, species and a, and a very visual society and becoming more so. And so Google is starting to put higher weights on the brands that can create visually appealing, well-designed, well-created um, looking pieces of content. And so that is something that a is hard to do. B is, can be expensive. Um, C, it's hard to find the talent. And so if your audience has those skills, um, then you're in high demand. <laughs> right. and, and, and brands and marketers maybe don't know they need you yet, but they are going to increasingly need more and more. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we have to account for the amount of volume that's being put out and the things that rise to the top are seemingly um, things that will get more eyeballs regardless of uh, how niche it is. Um, so, uh, so I agree with you there. I think, why, why do you think that it's been taken so long for brands to kind of get on this bus? There's, there is a lot of, uh, of brands and companies that do this, maybe not too, too many that do it very well, but what's this reluctance? I, I, look, at, I look at mass media, which you would think would be almost dead by, by now. And, <laughs> and uh, the emergence of content marketing and, and companies creating their own content. And, and I would think that everybody would be on that bus for sure. What's with the holdouts? Mm -hmm. It's, um, oh, well, my favorite, my favorite quote or line um, that I give when I do keynotes that it, it seems to get tweeted more than any, any other is behind every bad piece of content is an executive who asked for it. And, uh, you know, and I love to, I, I usually show a picture of a, like an old, you know, a curmudgeonly 65 year old white guy executive. Right. And, um, and I point at him and I say, you know, it's, it's his fault is, is the reason why. But, but I also then implore my audience and, and would implore yours to, to think that we have to start taking accountability for the crap that's out there. I think those of us that are in creative professions that are creators or sharers or, or thought, you know, leader, um, leadership kinds of, 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 you know, content creators, self publishers, we need to take accountability for whether what we create is working or not. And so we need to convince executives and learn how to, how to pitch the business case for why the time to just, you know, stand up and talk about this is who we are, what we sell, why we're better. Um, and realize that people don't care about brands anymore. The Nielsen, uh, my first employer survey two years ago showed that 75% of people wouldn't care if the brands they use disappeared completely. Mm. Um, and they also said that most people can only hold when asked three or four brands in their heads when asked what brands do you love? And for most people, by the way, it's, it's Starbucks, Netflix, Amazon, <laughs> um, you know, and, and maybe one other, you know, Apple maybe, um, right. You know, there's very few brands that we actually care deeply about. Um, so you're not as important as, as you think you are is kind of the first message. 
but there's this tremendous opportunity to stop selling, to stop promoting. You know, I say it's, it's our natural instinct as business people to think that's what we should do. But when you, when you sort of turn your head around and think like a consumer or a buyer, you realize that we, we're all in need of information. We want brands to create helpful content. Um, the survey, another survey by uh, Gallup showed that 80% of people want brands to create helpful content and 80% of people don't think brands do. 80% of brands think that they do. It's funny that it's 80%, it's 80 something percent for each one of those. Mm -hmm. So we all think we create helpful content, but we don't. Our consumers, our customers and buyers want us to create helpful content, but they all say that we don't. And so this is what we need to change. We need to change the mindset really of what a brand should be communicating, helpful content versus promotion and advertising, I think. I have to think that, um, uh, I don't know if this is the bane of your existence, but I have to think it's one of them where you, con you continually have to um, be positive and encourage brands that might be a little bit um, uh, impatient or might have preconceived notions about what success is. I know for me, um, there's plenty of places that I get content that I really value, but it's like I can you can't go steady with them all the time. Right. So, um, so it's, it's like, there seems to be a, an amount of people that you can listen to, uh, with the time that you have. And I'm going to say it's something like, I don't know, maybe three or four or something. You can't just add more and more to the queue. That means they're going to have people who are going to drop off and stuff like that. How do you not get discouraged with that? Cause it's unrealistic to think that someone's going to stick with you every day, 24 seven. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we, um, uh, and, and it, corporate executive board, which is now part of Gartner, did a great study on the buying habits in um, technology purchases uh, that go from usually in the five figures up to seven figures. So, you know, 10 grand to $2 million. Um, and what they found was that the influence of people that were not known by the companies that were selling stuff was was nine not, was nine out of ten of the touch points in a sales process. So in other words, influencers, uh, stakeholders, you know, the the CFO um, who is influencing the CIO making a technology purchase, the um, end user of a of a piece of software. Um, who doesn't even work in the same department as the CIO who's making the technology purchase. All of these people and all of this content requirement um, is unknown to the salesperson and unknown to the brand. In other words, it's, it's easy to say, look at, you know, out of the 10 people that are engaging with our content, only one of them is maybe relevant to us because we misunderstand and we misinterpret the data. We think that there's a funnel and there's a person and the person moves down the funnel. And that's just not true. Uh, what, what we find is that people come in and they're people we don't know and they go out and they have to go convince somebody. W one of the best examples I love is, um, and I used this at SAP, was um, we were selling a big data solution um, called SAP HANA, which, which kind of cranks through tons and tons of data using, you know, parallel processing and all these kinds of technical stuff. And I suggested we should start creating really simple content, like what is big data? What is cloud computing? And the marketing team was like, well, our, our buyers are really educated. They know what this stuff is. And then I showed them the search traffic behind those search terms and it was massive. And I went to the sales team and I said, I'm thinking about creating this really basic piece of content. What is big data? And they were like, yeah, that'd be perfect because my buyer knows what it is, but he's got six other people he's got to convince and explain and educate. And so marketers, I think brands sometimes just underestimate the basic educational needs of, 
of the folks that, you know, that, that are in the buying process. So, you know, again, it, it kind of a long answer to a, a, what's really a simple, a simple, you know, sort of problem is identify the questions that anyone might have in a buying process. Look inside your company for the experts that have those answers and create that content very simply. One of the other questions I was wanted to ask you was, um, because I, re I read that article that you did called, you know, why brands should be more like publishers. Mm -hmm. um, I know it's a language thing, but I so much lo love the, this, this word publishing or self-publishing over content marketing. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why. I think um, um, when it comes to creating content, um, to your point, look, looking, looking inside your own organization, finding those people that are really have something to say and then exploiting that for mm -hmm. the purpose of creating content. That's what I like about the word, the word self-publishing over content marketing. Do you think, do you think there's a difference there or am I out to lunch in terms of that as a misnomer? No, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And you're onto something because, uh, you know, I, I love to say marketing has a marketing problem. And what I mean by that is most people think marketing is just ads and most people have a negative impression of advertising as something that interrupts our content experiences. So we use the term content marketing to kind of di differentiate from the, you know, sleazy promotional, you know, interrupting your football game television ad impression of what marketing is. Um, you're, you're, I think your, your natural instinct to, to not want to use the word marketing is because of that negative impression mm -hmm. that we know, you know, I always say, ask your mom what marketing is. And she's going to say it's this television ad. Um, we marketers, the marketing function and discipline needs to do a better job of letting people know that marketing is supposed to be helpful. It's supposed to be a two way conversation. It's supposed to communicate value and purpose, not just sell stuff. Um, so I think your instinct, your gut instinct is to, to use a different word that better describes what it is. And it really is, it is really publishing. And, and for the best brands, it is self-publishing. And it's pretty funny. Like I remember the lawyers at SAP were like, you can't go create articles without legal review. And I was like, wait a second, it's not the brand that's talking, it's me. It's the expert down the road who I'm gonna go interview and they're gonna be the ones talking. I don't need your legal advice or approval on what their opinion is. And they're like, oh, as soon as I explained that to them, it, that it's self-published, like oh it's not it's not us publishing it but it's fine then go ahead you know so it, I think you're right to use that term um, because it sort of better describes what it is it's 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 opinion it's it's the expertise and the, and the opinions of the smart passionate people that work inside organizations that are simply sharing what they know and what they love that uh, that generates the trust and the value that I think content marketing or self-publishing can, can generate what, what, what's your opinion on the mix of content uh, by medium? Um, I know everyone knows, even the fact that, you know, Josh was the one to push me into doing video. I wanted to do a podcast. He was like, no, you should have a video component. I don't know what it is. We'd like to see people, we'd like mm -hmm. to see people talk. Um, and video, of course, is one of those things that, you know, you see high engagement numbers because of what it is. Um, um, do you think it's, you know, are, are, do brands miss out if they don't cover a mix of medium as it relates to content publishing? Absolutely. It goes back to that variety, value, volume, and variety thing that I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, the example I use with brands is if you, you know, when we, when we did, uh, if you live in a city and you walk by a newsstand and you look at the newsstand and, and you see, um, you know, you see dozens of publications that have faces of people on them because faces sell <laughs> because we're, we're naturally attracted to another human face. 
and then and then I say, go now, go look at your website, and you see a hero shot of a ball bearing or or, an, or a piece right. of upholstery, um, and you wonder why your website doesn't work for you. Um, have a picture of a happy customer sitting on your you know leather upholstery, or of a you know of a happy plant manager using your ball bearings. Um, you know, we started to see brands use visual um, faces on their website homepages, uh, you know, starting a few years ago, Microsoft did it, Chase Bank did it, um, uh, Accenture did it, a couple of different examples where they, we started to see this, this, you know, shift away from just dense copy to, you know, living, breathing variety of, of, of medium. And so I do think, you know, again, I think images are important. I think faces of real people is important. Um, one of the things I love, you use the term self-publishing. The reason I was successful at content marketing at SAP was, be, was not because of the strategy I employed, but because the strategy I employed relied on people. All we did was activate, as I called it, um, activate the expertise of now 10,000 employees are contributing to the SAP website with articles that some of which are great and some of which are, you know, a work in progress. Right. But it, I think it's important that, you know, and everybody has their own, uh, you know, creative style and, and some people are, you know, just, you know, sharing images and, and some people are doing self, you know, self-taken videos. And it's, it's just really great to see a vibrant organization that celebrates the people inside it. it with just a quick kind of call back to this crisis that we're in. What, what uh, um, AdAge did a study and what they found was that the only brands that were winning in the early days of the crisis were the ones that sent out messages that said, you know what, we're not here to sell. We just want you to know that we, we're right now mostly concerned about our employees and their safety. Those are the brands that won. And those are the brands that are always going to win. The ones that have empathy for customers and employees and showcase their humanity and every, you know, ugly pimple and, and wrinkle that that, you know, that that brings with it are the brands that are going to win. Yeah, it, it seems very apparent there that um, I love your term tone deaf. That's a, it's a really, <laughs> a really nice way of saying totally out to lunch if you're yeah. not acknowledging what is going on in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, I, I think we're coming too close to the, uh, to the end of our time here. So I want to ask you two more questions. Sure. We always ask all of our guests um, what advice you'd give to someone who wants to do what you're doing, you know? Um, and, um, and then maybe, um, the final question might be something like, um, where do you, where do you see content marketing going right now and brands self publishing? Um, are we closer to seeing a tipping point where everybody's on board? Um, so, um, I'll leave you with those two, two mm -hmm. thoughts, um, and, um, and, and let you go from there. Yeah, I think the I think the answer is actually the same for both, and so uh, I'll, I'll but I'll, I'll address them separately. The um, the way I think the way to get started. I mean, I got started like I said. I I, I was put in a position um, that ended up being called the head of digital marketing at SAP um, only because they needed somebody to figure out digital media, and uh, not because they they like I actually got hired for a different reason, and then they said, wait a second what I was hired to do is essentially all digital marketing. And so they said, you're, you're the new head of digital marketing. And because of that, I started blogging because I, I didn't want to tell people to create content in the company when I wasn't doing it myself. And so my advice to people that want to, you know, kind of, um, kind of see their personal brand really grow. And this is the advice I give to my clients as well is everybody that wants to should be creating content. Um, there's sort of the uh, this this creator's curve that we we talk we've heard about that um, two percent of the world wants to create, 
18% of the world wants to share and the other 80% of us are just consuming. We're just, you know, we just, we just eat other people's content. Be in the 2% at minimum, be in the 18%, you know, hopefully. And then, you know, don't be in the 80%. That's the advice is just get started. If you're not comfortable creating, then just start sharing the work of other people that you, uh, you know, admire and appreciate. Learn why they're successful. Then maybe start to, you know, test and experiment into creation. Um, you know, you all have something passionate. You all have something um, unique to share. And, and, you know, so that, that would be my, my advice to, is to get started. The second question, it's the same. It's, it, you know, it's just get started. And I think, um, I do think, and there's been some content created out there right now about a tipping point um, on a couple of different levels. One is digital transformation. Like the, the companies that didn't invest in technology that supports remote work, for example, are, are they need to catch up. And so digital transformation, which I have a client who says that's a made up term, but it, it really isn't. It means a company that's, that's geared for the way work happens today, geared for the way we sell and, and support customers today. And that's digitally with mobile phones and chat and, and with a re remote workforce, with video conferencing, you know, all those kinds of things. We're seeing the same, I think, tipping point happen in marketing. And that is um, the marketing has a marketing problem uh, dilemma, I think is going to be taken on by companies, by marketers and agencies that, uh, you know, where we're living in a down economy at this point. Um, and, and, you know, now's the best time to update your will. Messaging is not going to work. Um, helpful content. It, what else is there to do it, it, from a brand communications perspective? Um, you know, so I think we are seeing a tipping point, both from a technical perspective, from a brand communications perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful <laughs> that, that that's going to mean more business for me uh, and, and for those of us that do what we do. Um, and, and, and I also, but I also want to kind of reach out to those folks that are in, you know, kind of advertising and ad agencies to say, you know, we need to, we need what you know as well in, in this transformation. And so I think the whole industry is going to take this turn. I think the term content marketing is going to go away as it consumes what marketing should be and could be. Um, and then it's just going to be, you know, marketing is going to be seen. I hope, hope is that helpful medium. Well, that's a great answer. And, um, and you know, uh, I could probably spend more time peppering you with more questions. I feel like you've got like a 12th degree black belt in this and I'm just slowly, <laughs> you know, uh, always late to the party, to, you know, oh. to, in understanding it. But I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by it. And I'm really excited by um, what, what brands and companies could bring to the table in terms of creating content that uh, really engages people. And to your point, being the information that their customers want to see. I think it's, it's, I think it's very, very, very cool. Thanks. Um, so I want, to, I want to thank you so much for your time, uh, hoping that everything in Westchester is, is, is um, chugging along as best as they can during this time. And, uh, and just thanks once again, Michael. Yeah, great. thanks for having me. This is fun. This episode has been brought to you by the National Advertising Challenge, North America's only brief-based challenge that sends winners to Cannes, France.